Game of Thrones Season 6 Episode 9 is over, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are here to discuss the terms for our surrender. I'm Rob Sistrino. Here is Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I thought we were here to talk about the NBA Finals. Oh, no, 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 no. Are you no telling spoil- me that I just spent the last two weeks researching basketball for no reason? No spoilers. I, I've DVR'd all of the games from this season, and I'm going to start uh, binge-watching them now that I, we get through tonight's Game of Thrones recap. I don't like that they do the basketball on separate nights and week to week. I just prefer it all at once. I feel like that is the way that they should be unleashing it. Okay. Well, we'll discuss some think tank changes for the NBA coming up in our next episode in the feedback show. But tonight we have a lot to talk about here tonight, Josh. Probably uh, the new high water mark for Game of Thrones season six. Some are saying the best Game of Thrones episode of all time. We are here yeah. to talk about the Battle of the Bastards, and they're not talking about us. No, for once. <laughs> for once, we're not the Bastards. Yeah, the Bastard Bowl has arrived. It's finished. It's over. It was so hyped. It was one of the most hyped episodes of Game of Thrones that I can think of probably since, I don't know, maybe the Red Wedding? Can you think of an episode that was more hyped than this one? Well, to me, that I did not go into the Red Wedding knowing what was going to happen, so I did not find that to be an especially hyped episode. Sure, so, I think among you know like book readers and stuff, those people were like, "Oh, here we come! It's about to happen." I think in terms of like an episode itself that just like really was starting to build momentum and excitement, and people didn't really know which way it was going to go. Probably hard to beat Battle of the Bastards, and look when Game of Thrones builds up the hype to impossible to exceed levels. I got to say, I think it exceeded the hype. I thought that this was a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous episode of the show. And I would certainly hear out the people saying it's the best of the series. Absolutely. So a lot to talk through tonight and some big headlines as well. Rickon Stark is no more. Uh, <laughs> That's Rick, where we're starting. <laughs> we're Rickon, we barely got, I mean, anytime a Stark yeah. goes down, I think that that's probably the headline. Uh, Rickon, we barely got to know you. We yeah. kind of saw this coming. So uh, farewell to ye, young Rickon. And then as well, Ramsey Bolton is gone. 1-1 the Giant is gone. Yeah, 1-1 lost, lost. Uh a tough, it's a tough night there. Very uh, exciting news in the Ramsey department. Any other major deaths that I'm missing? Uh, major deaths that you're missing. I don't know about major deaths that we're missing, but I mean, there's a lot 6, of 6,000 red shirts died. You know, a ton of red shirts did not make it out of this thing. Yeah, lots of thousands of people died. Littlefinger is back in the mix. Davos is hot on Melisandre's trail. And we thought that this was just going to be an episode about the North. But not only did we get more from the oh, Daenerys yeah. Targaryen story, but we got like the greatest Danny story that maybe we've ever seen on the show or at least this season. Right. So all of that, like all that extra stuff was just icing on the cake. That was awesome. Yeah, they really did bury the lead with uh, the Danny stuff in terms of like burying it in this episode. Because in any other episode, we come on and the Danny storyline is the top story and the only thing we're talking about. And it's like an afterthought with everything that went on in the north that's traditionally how this goes you know we we watch an episode of game of thrones the danny stuff is so riveting that we can't talk about anything else but no kidding aside i think you know we walked into the battle of the bastards thinking we would be talking about nothing but what happened between Jon snow and ramsey and i do think that the targaryen storyline was really really kick-ass and we even have a great joy alliance now so there's a lot to sink our teeth into so let's waste no more time let's start talking about the episode okay 
lot to do. We're going to get to your questions. Hashtag PS Recaps. We'll try to get to as many as we can tonight. If we can't get to them tonight, save them for our feedback show coming up later on this week. So, Josh, I'm sure, I know you just filed all of your stories tonight for the Hollywood the Reporter. Words. Okay, All of the words. So why don't we follow your lead? Uh, what, oh, were the, <laughs> what, what were the biggest topics? Like, what did you write about? What did you focus your reports on? I mean, I really, uh, I, I really wrote about what we saw, uh, and and I, I started with Mireen just because that's where the episode begins, and all of that is really, really strong stuff. But I think let's get to Mireen later. Let's talk about the Battle of the Bastards. Let's start with where the hype is at, and I think just you know, looking at the size and scale of this battle, we talk about Blackwater as one of the great episodes of Game of Thrones, and that entire episode is the Battle of the Blackwater. There's Watchers on the Wall, which is everything that's happening at Castle Black. Hard Home is a contender in there for that really fantastic sequence at the end of the episode. But where, just instinctively, where does this battle, the Battle of the Bastards, where does it sit alongside those four, you know, this being one of the four great battles, one of the truly memorable battles in Game of Thrones history? Is this top of the heap or is it too soon to say? Boy, I mean, I feel like just from in terms of what the the level of execution that they accomplished, I feel like that this is really, really high. I I think it probably does take the cake. I know that we did have the last couple seasons, these major battles with John at the wall and John with the wildlings. But I felt like that the stakes here were so high, even more so than what was happening at the wall and what was happening at, at hard home. I felt like that these were the highest stakes yet we've faced in one of these battles. Yeah. And then Ramsey became a stake. <laughs> he did. Dog stakes. He, he did. And, you know, we've had these uh, shots before, like we had in uh, the watchers on the wall where we have said, sort of tracking shot where we have we're seeing Jon Snow fighting a bunch of people but the execution yeah, they did like the they did like the true detective on Jon Snow he, yeah he McConaughey it it was great I mean to not cut where Jon Snow or Kit Harrington is fighting all these different people that are coming out of nowhere guys are getting just railroaded by horses and in mid-fight arrows are coming down they're not cutting for any other I mean it was really fantastic directing And just when we talk about like the level that this show is able to do, we are talking like feature blockbuster feature film levels of accomplishment from a technicals perspective with this show, which is really nothing else can even compete with. Didn't it feel like a movie? Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about Game of Thrones, the movie, and will this thing culminate in a movie? Is it going to be seven seasons in a movie to riff on uh, a community phrase? Uh, Is that where we're going? To me, watching this, it A, felt like a movie, and B, reinforced the notion that who needs a movie when Game of Thrones can pull this off every week? This, This felt like Game of Thrones, the movie, watching that whole Danny sequence first and then building through all of this action at Winterfell. It just felt like we were seeing the Hollywood blockbuster Game of Thrones episode. And it was just unlike anything I had really ever seen on the show before. And the show, as mentioned already, has delivered some blockbuster episodes. So we now have In the North, where for the first time since back in, what, season two that this this happened, where we have now the Starks are back at Winterfell 
What does this mean for you in the big picture? Yeah, this is great. I mean, you know, one of the things that you could say about Game of Thrones, like, you know, the if there's a catchphrase that's borrowed from the show, it's like, you win or you die, there is no middle ground. And that really speaks to the idea of anyone who comes at the throne, you better not miss. Uh, one of the other things that could be a slogan for the show is, you know, bad things happen to good people. Very often, heroes lose their heads, very literally in, in many cases, but rarely do the good guys win. And yes, there were casualties. There were big casualties. You know, the Starks lost a sibling. We lost one one. That's a giant sized death, literally. Uh, but I think overall, the good guys finally got a, a point and a really big one. And the Starks are now in Winterfell. The North needed to be unified or at least the, the starting of the unification process had to begin in order to prepare them for what's coming next. And what's coming next are White Walkers and probably a battle next season or the season after that will top what we just saw tonight. And that's hard to imagine. But there is a huge, huge threat coming toward Westeros. And in order to be best prepared for it, the Starks needed to have a rallied together north. And that might still require some rebuilding. But at the very least, the Starks are back in Winterfell where this whole thing started, where they began their journey. And that's exciting. It's really great to see the good guys score a victory. I'm curious if you ever thought there was a moment in this episode where they were not going to win. I think that there were times throughout the battle, certainly when, you know, the Umbers are surrounding the Starks and John is like drowning in a sea of bodies. There are moments where they're trying to build up this, this possibility that John is going to lose. Did you ever think that he was going to lose or did you think that it was lights out for the Bolton? I thought that there was a possibility. I didn't think it was a likely possibility, but especially when we had the scene where Melisandre says to John, like, maybe the Lord of Light brought you back to die at Winterfell. Who knows? I don't know why. Yeah. I don't know what he does. Don't ask me. I just, I how, just work how here. How obnoxious would that have been if that was how it ended and John's just dead for real this time? Yeah. So I felt like, and there were different points where it looked like that bodies were piling up on John. And I'm like, is John, is John dying? Are we, gonna, are we, are we losing? John here. So for Jon Snow, I definitely was worried a couple times. I mean, I did not think that he was a goner at any point, but I was starting to get a little bit. No, they can't, right? Like somebody, right. somebody like, tell me it'll be okay, Jon Snow. And then in comes Littlefinger to save the day. That doesn't happen very often. That Littlefinger is the cavalry that you're looking to back you up. And here he is. Okay, so let me ask you this, because here's Littlefinger and the Knights of the Vale. Did you feel like that that was 100% how it was going to work out from the start of the episode or from the start of the battle? Um, that that little finger was going to show up in this episode and provide support going into this week. Did I think that that's what we were going to see? Yes. Yeah, I would say so. I think with Sansa writing her letter to Littlefinger, and when you're thinking about the numbers, where you know the Boltons have at least six thousand people, he says, and John has John has half of that. I thought that that was a, was a was being generous. I thought that he probably had less people. He only had. You know, his his army of wildlings, whoever he could get from Castle Black, 62 Bear Islanders, and maybe a couple of other smaller northern houses. And bringing those people to bear, even with narrative plot armor on his side, I didn't think that John would be able to overcome that. But Littlefinger was still out there. He has the Knights of the Vale. He'd shown a willingness to come and save Sansa earlier in the season. Sansa rejected him then. Then Sansa writes her letter we saw a couple of episodes back. To me, that felt pretty slam dunk that Littlefinger was going to show up and that it would probably be some sort of 11th hour thing. But even though I wasn't surprised by it, it was so badass to watch the Knights of the Vale just like crashing into all of those shields 
and taking them down like human dominoes. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. You didn't need surprise for that to be really cool. No, it was reminiscent of when Stannis and his army came uh, when John was with Mance uh, north of the wall. Right. Yeah, and, exactly. And I think, you know, you saw the bullets coming on that one as well, and that was still a great moment, so... Okay, so here's what I want to talk about with John and Sansa because we saw them really sort of be at loggerheads a little bit about how to be handling all of this. And I saw this sort of spilling over into Twitter because I think that Sansa clearly had a huge night. And uh, for all the fans out there, we're all very excited about, especially the last shot of the episode where she gets her just desserts with Ramsay Bolton as she watches him be devoured by the dogs. But Josh, do you feel like that Sansa could have handled all of this better? Because we certainly had the scene where John is uh, for the I don't know what the Westeros version of mansplaining is, but you know he's sort of <laughs> he, telling Sansa he was, uh, was Stark explaining. I feel like that's what Starks do. Okay, sure, he's Stark explaining <laughs> yeah. all of that stuff to her, and you know she's like, well, nobody even thought to ask me about what to do. And then John's like, okay, well, do you have an idea? And she's like, well, no, I just know what you're doing is wrong. Shouldn't Sansa have mentioned the whole, hey, this is kind of a long shot. I sent a letter to this guy I know, Littlefinger. He's kind of a bad dude, but he's got an in at the Eerie. I asked him to send the Knights of the Vale. They might show up. I'm just saying that's a possibility on the table. Why did she keep that card in her pocket? Because it created a great television moment when they showed up and no one was expecting it. But that's really it. There's no good reason in terms of like the story for her not to have been like, hey, John, I have a friend. His name is Littlefinger. I know that's a weird name and he's kind of a weird guy, but he's helped me out before. I think he kind of just really wants to impress me. So I think that he's going to come up with his really impressive army and I think he's going to help us out. Uh, but I think also that Sansa was seeing from John, I get no respect, you know, like she was, you know, she wanted a little bit of respect from John and he wasn't throwing any her way, wasn't including her in the talks. So she was, you know, she was burned. She was rubbed wrong. And I think one of the things that's very consistent across all of the Starks is they're headstrong for better and more often for worse, uh, that they are people who are, you know, they get an idea in their head and it stays there. And oftentimes that leads to them losing their heads. And I think that, you know, you see John in this episode, Rickon is out in the field and John goes after him. And that is not the thing to do in that moment. You need to stay calm. He goes after Rickon, Rickon dies, and then he charges and the whole thing. They lose their composure. They lose whatever little advantage that they had. So you got to be mad about about that with John. And I think with Sansa, it would be nice if she had let John in on her plans. But it's a very stark thing to do to just sit on your own idea and not share that with everybody. That's just very in line with that family, I think. Yeah, as Philip mentioned uh, in the chat, you know, it would, it would be nice if Littlefinger would have sent a raven. Like, how did Sansa know to go meet up with where Littlefinger was? Well, we uh, don't know how that played out. I mean, she was hanging behind. She wasn't going to be on the front lines anyway, so maybe she's hanging back at camp. It's like, oh, she saw Littlefinger. Them. She saw What's them. up? What's up? Come over here. It's yeah. time. It's great timing. But, you know, I don't know if that would have changed John's mind. I think they sort of, like, made that appointment to start the war the next morning. And I don't know if you can sort of back out of that if you know reinforcements are coming. But it did seem like that maybe they might have been able to alter their plans had they all been on the same page. But for John and Sansa, it's going to be interesting to see where they go now. Do you have any thoughts on where the John and Sansa relationship is coming out of this battle at Winterfell? Well, they both lost a sibling. They're both very upset about that. That's not fantastic. On top of that, um, or Sansa, you know, 
Sandstastic. <laughs> Sandstastic. Oh, that's pretty good. So no, that's, not not. that's not Sandstastic, but they do have Winterfell, so there are Starks in the north again. I think what's next is let's see just how quickly everybody else in the north falls in line. Um, let's see who is going to be in charge of this new version of House Stark. Is it going to be John? Is he just going to automatically, by default, become King John Stark in the north or something like that, King of the North? Or is Sansa going to be Queen in the North, which I know a lot of fans would like to see. That would be Sanstastic. But I think what's also in in the offing is that there will not be an easy agreement on which way to go here. And now that Littlefinger is in the mix, who knows how he's going to try and push things. I can't imagine he's going to be a huge Jon Snow fan. Cannot imagine that Jon Snow is going to be a huge Littlefinger fan. But Littlefinger loves Sansa and would like to see her in power. And beyond liking seeing her in power, I think many of his machinations rely on Sansa being in power. So that'll be one of the big stories to watch going to the finale, I think, is what's Littlefinger's next move and how does Sansa respond to it and how does Jon respond to it? I want to ask you a question, and I'm serious about this. I know it sounds like a little bit of a crazy question, but I want to get your take on this. I think that this is somewhat of an out-of-the-box idea. Okay. Okay, shoot. Yeah, let's do it. Do you see any possibility for shipping between John and Sansa? We talked about this on one of the podcasts. I don't know if it was during a, a live show or a feedback show or the Jason Somerville show, but I know it was brought up. And there definitely are people out there who ship John and Sansa. I think I'm I on th- board with this. You're on board with Johnsa. This right. is a Right. This is a this is a ship that you are sailing on. Uh, that is um, a ship. Yes, like the 100 Greyjoys ships. I think oh I'm man. on I think I'm on this ship. You have these two characters, there's no love interest for either of them at this point. Like there's no possibility of a new love interest at this point. I kind of feel like it's kind of solved some problems, especially if we get into potentially some um paternity testing for Jon Snow at some point. So, uh-huh. I think I'm in on this. But aren't they siblings? Isn't maybe. that a little weird? Maybe, I mean, I guess maybe, it wouldn't. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. You know, aren't they related? They're certainly related. Yeah. And, you know. John likes just... redheads, as the chat room is saying. Oh, gosh. Well, look, if this happened, it wouldn't be the weirdest pairing in Game of Thrones history. I think that they no. came out the gate with the weirdest possible pairing with, like, these two golden-haired twins that were so deeply in love with one another that they would push a small child out of a very tall uh, building. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Game of Thrones led off with a very strange romance. It wouldn't be the strangest. Can't say I'm shipping it, but if you're shipping it, all the power to you. Go for it. Have fun. Yeah. Everybody have fun. Everyone's allowed to ship whoever they want. You know, in early versions of George R.R. R. Martin's treatment of Game of Thrones, I think that uh, John's love interest was supposed to be Arya. Is that right? I believe so. Where did you read that? One of your <laughs> crazy you YouTube deep dives? I, I look, I'm, I'm all over the place. I'm not, yeah, it's yeah. all the conspiracy theories. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's talk about the departure of Ramsey. Satisfying for you? Any complaints? Uh, just 100% uh, thumbs up, keeping it 100? I wanted him to get eaten alive by dogs. I think so many people wanted him to get eaten by dogs. It was so great to see him getting eaten by dogs. It would have been really fun to see him getting eaten alive by ghost, I think would have been cool because mm-hmm. that's a Stark dire wolf. It's dog-ish, dog-esque. Uh, and that's you know just another visual symbol of the Starks overcoming the Boltons. But maybe that's a little too on the nose. Who cares? It's a nitpick. Seeing Ramsey go the way he went was really great. And just like that visual of that dog with his face right up against <laughs> Ramsey's 
was that's one for the ages. That's a that's a really legendary Game of Thrones death, I think. I mean, I'm left with a lot of questions about how exactly this was all set up and laid yeah. out. Oh, me too. Absolutely. <laughs> we could talk through all of that if you'd like. No, we don't need to go through we're sure, you know, <laughs> pressed for time to so many things to cover tonight. Maybe in her time at Winterfell under Ramsay's control, Sansa got to know the dogs very well. And so they just like are even more loyal to Sansa than they are to Ramsay ultimately. Mm-hmm. Also, Probably not, but yeah, it seems like a mistake for Ramsay to not bring those hungry dogs to the battle. It feels like that they could have been of some use, right? Maybe, but they probably would have gotten so hungry that they would have gone off their leashes and just like ran off into the middle of the thing. And they probably would have killed a bunch of people, but I can't imagine they would have survived ultimately. So uh, they had been starving for seven days and to see all of that fresh meat available for them, they would not have stayed back no matter how loyal to Ramsey. All right. One of the other theories floating around Twitter, I'll credit our own Antonio Mazzaro that uh, he had said this uh, as well as others on in the Twitter verse that Ramsey. Ramsey says to her, you know, I'll always be a part of you. Uh, And we know that from earlier in the season, Sansa said a line like, you know, uh, that I can still feel him. And do you feel like uh, Sansa threatens this is the end of your house? That's it. We're ending you. Is Sansa pregnant with Ramsey's baby? I think it's worth considering. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought that line that line really stood out to me as well. I had not previously been on board with the idea that Sansa is carrying Ramsay's child just because that's so awful and you don't want that to be the case. Um, but I think that this, you know, that line has a lot of possible meanings. It could be direct. It could be I'm always with you. You'll never get rid of me, meaning like I screwed you up so badly psychologically that you'll never forget Ramsay Bolton or it could mean you're pregnant with my child. And I I'm I think that we'll probably get some clarity on like if we don't get anything about there being a possible offspring in the next episode in the finale, I wouldn't necessarily throw the theory out of the out of the realm of possibility, but I would probably lessen its likelihood. I would guess uh if it is going to happen, we would hear about it next week, and I don't think it's impossible. I think it's fairly likely. And I think that, you know, Sansa hopefully is a cool enough person that, like, she'd be able to, like, get past the Ramsey part, especially because he's dead now and she can raise that child to be whoever she wants that child to be. Uh, but, yeah. Oh, it, I don't know about that. <laughs> it, it, it's in the blood. Yeah, it's in the blood. <laughs> is it in, it's the, in the blood? blood of my blo- it's in yeah. the blood of my blood. So, so I hope not. I hope not. But who knows? We'll I mean, see. we've seen so many different characters on Game of Thrones uh, dabble in the moon tea. If this is even a possibility for Sansa... I mean, she can't get her hands on this, especially it was one thing when she was, you know, in Ramsey's clutches. But now that the Starks have taken over Winterfell, wouldn't you, you know, double down on that just to be safe? Yeah, maybe or maybe I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what Sansa wants to do here? She hasn't if if she is pregnant, she hasn't done anything about it yet. And she's been free for a while now. So let's see how that one plays out next week. If it's a thing to talk about, we'll have a lot more to talk about with it with it uh, next week. All right. Uh, we don't have to uh, get too much into that. Uh, no, no, no. But what, just overall, I mean, we've lost both Boltons now. We lost Roos earlier in the season. We lost Ramsey tonight. Um, he had kind of, you know, stepped into the role of new Joffrey. He was the the wicked little leader of the of, of people who's just like this awful guy. You wanted to see awful things happen to him. But he brought a certain energy to the show 
is the show going to miss the presence of a Joffrey-like person now that Ramsey, who is sort of his successor, is gone? Are you saying who's the biggest bad left right now at this point in this show? Yeah, I mean, probably like Cersei is on the list. The High Sparrow is on the list. I'm sure you're very excited to hear that. I mean, I don't know if I'm calling Cersei one of the bad guys at this point. I mean, who is she necessarily bad to? I think just the Lannisters generally have always been antagonistic, and Cersei is on, I think Cersei's on the precipice of some dangerous stuff right now, so she could really take a dark turn. But, like, who is the bad guy? I guess Littlefinger is now firmly back in the mix. Is it now time for Littlefinger to kind of, if not be quite the final boss, at least be one of those bosses that you beat right before you hmm. get to the end he's like Saget. if the white walkers are m bison if this is a street fighter metaphor gladstone right yeah so uh, who knows no um knight's king knight's king's the final boss but he doesn't say much no so i'm chewing smoking you know he says a lot with his gestures come at me crow but uh not not enough not enough talky with that white walkie <laughs> no, not I don't think so. Yeah. All right, so let's just talk about the ramifications of Rickon being gone now. Uh, that we are down to only four or three Starks plus John who are left in that line. Uh, do you have any eulogy for Rickon? Nope. No. no. Just, kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I think that Rickon. You know, Rickon being gone. The truth is. We didn't really talk about Rickon much while he was away. We didn't talk about Rickon much this season, even when he came back. And I hate to say it, I don't think that we'll be talking too much about Rickon moving forward. I feel like this is going to be a tragedy that's fairly personal for John and Sansa, obviously. Whenever Bran and Arya find out, they're not going to be happy about it. But I don't think the show is going to dwell on the death of Rickon Stark for too long. Other than, as Sansa points out earlier in the episode... Rickon Stark is a bigger threat than you and me to Ramsay Bolton. He is a true-born son of Eddard Stark. That poses a huge threat to Ramsay's claim. And now that guy is gone, and now the question is, who is the Stark in Winterfell? Who is the Stark? Is it Jon? Is it Sansa? Everyone thinks Bran is dead. No one knows where Arya is. So I think that the biggest ramification of losing Rickon isn't, you know, losing the character so much, you know, no disrespect for the dead, but I think, you know, sort of the the true Rickoning of uh, of who is going to be the Lord or uh, Lady of Winterfell moving forward. Can we just talk for a moment about how bad was Jon Snow tonight in terms of the planning and the execution of the attack on Winterfell? Yeah, not great. <laughs> really was not great. Yeah. I mean, we kind of came into the season where we assumed Jon Snow was going to come back from the dead and he was going to be of a purpose, that he was going to be inspired Really, that I mean, that he was just very, very lucky to not be dead after a number of different bad moves that he made in this battle against Ramsey. He was significantly outmaneuvered by Ramsey. That's Jon Snow. Jon Snow is going to Jon Snow. Uh, and like, I, I know that we all we came into this season thinking like, oh, sweet, Jon Snow, he's dead, but he's going to come back to life and he's going to be such a badass and he is going to know his purpose and he's going to move forward. and It's going to be great. And John, you know, came back as sort of emo snow. And like he he didn't shake a lot of his personality traits. And one of his biggest traits is like, you get me mad about a thing and I'm going to act on it. Like, I'm not going to think things through too much. I'm just going to be mad and I'm going to act on the anger. And it's not always a great look. Sometimes that impulsiveness, I think, works in John's favor. But in a high stakes situation like this, it may have been a better idea to have a cool head. 
that's kind of, you know, for a guy named Snow, he's not so cool under pressure. You know, he really gets turned up pretty fast. And I think it's in line with the character. But yeah, bad move overall. Not a surprise that members of House Stark are not the greatest strategists. <laughs> he started off good, I thought, with trying to challenge Ramsey to a duel in front of his men and said, oh, if you don't want to fight me, why are your men going to fight for you? So that was good. That was but good. then once they got into the war room, and again, reminiscent of Rob Stark back in you know season two and three, sort of in the tent, sort of figuring it all out on the map where they're like, okay, we're going to dig a trench and we want them to come at us and we'll be able to hold them off. That's what we need to, as soon as they brought Rick on out, the whole plan was out the window. Out the window. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one world of ice and fire is out the window. Yeah. Yeah, Jon Snow, much like how Ramsey Bolton rides horses, only knows one speed and that's full tilt. Full tilt. Anything else you want to talk about up in the north before we talk about this Danny stuff and eventually get to the questions? Davos knows that Shireen was probably yeah. killed by Melisandre. That's kind of a deal, huh? Yeah. Uh, Melisandre, I think 100% is not making it out of season six. Would not be shocked. If, you know, if I was to put money down on a main character to lose their life in season six, if we were to do that draft right now, which maybe let's give ourselves some time, maybe we could do that in the feedback show, I would be very inclined to put money on Melisandre. Uh, and I think Davos, knowing that and uh, knowing that she, you know, was probably the person who did this to Shireen, sees the stag toy, uh, is able to put two and two together. Davos is no dummy. Uh, I don't, that doesn't look good for Melisandre. But I wonder what Davos' ultimate takeaway is going to be with all this because he's had moments of peace with Melisandre this season. They've worked together. They brought John back together. Is he going to be able to forgive her? He's a pretty nice guy. I don't know if he can forgive this one. So that's going to be a big story of the finale for sure. I mean, we didn't know if we would get there. We didn't know if this would come up again, but it certainly seems to have come up again. And I think it's going to be a big deal next week. Also, with all due respect to the Lord of Light, uh, Melisandre, kind of useless in the battle. Yeah. And I mean, even when Davos and Tormund are talking uh, outside the tent before the conversation turns to sour goat's milk, which uh, we could talk about if you'd like. Sounds delicious. Uh, we have strong. We, it sounds strong. Sounds like it would be a fun night. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, Tormund is like, oh, literal demons were whispering in Stannis's ear and coming from the red woman. And I was like, no, not literal demons. But I was like, maybe think about it for a second. Go back just like a few years earlier, Davos, and remember that shadow baby that was birthed out in front of you. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a great idea to cook up one of those and unleash it on Ramsay Bolton? But yeah. maybe maybe enough uh, red magic for one season. Okay, so yeah, she didn't do a lot for Stannis either. Uh, after a while, no, like she really sort of shot her proverbial smoke baby in season two, and then really right. did not have a lot left in the tank after that. Okay, yeah. so uh, you ready to go, go jump into talking about this big battle going on in Marine? Wasn't that a great surprise? To have, it, I, I think it really like, was, and I want to. I want to get your take on this in yeah. terms of the placement of this battle in this episode, because just from an overall thematic standpoint, you know, this is the song of ice and fire, and there's some sort of a balance in all of this. To you, was it intentional on the part of the show creators to have? this big battle going on with all the fire in Marine versus this battle going on in the North, in the snow and in the ice at the same time. Yeah. I love that. I think that there's, you know, it, it's, it doesn't always work out that way. And certainly this season has been very, very compelling in the North 
and maybe not so much out east. And maybe the east is not always the most compelling story, but I do think that it's important. And I think the Danny storyline is, you know, monstrously important. And to have ice and fire come together in this way in this episode, I think that's really, really cool. I think another thing, too, is expectations were that this was going to be another one of those episodes that takes place entirely in one location. I think everybody thought Battle of the Bastards was just going to be a story in the North. It wasn't. And I think when it starts out in Mireen, I mean, even for me, I was kind of thinking, like, really? Like, we're starting in Mireen? Like, I want to go straight to the North. And then they deliver this, like, 15-minute sequence of badass awesomeness in in Mireen out east, just almost as if to prove, like, Come on, guys. The Danny storyline is cooking up. We, we've got this. We're good right now. Uh, and if this is how we're front loading this epic episode, just wait until the final 45 minutes. So I think pacing wise, it was, you know, for the thematic symmetry, I think that's great. But also just pacing wise, I think that that was a really great sort of opening act before the main show of the Bastard Bull. So Danny really comes in and she starts going uh, to have this conversation with Tyrion. And I did feel like that Tyrion was kind of being a little stupid in the beginning of the episode of talking about like, uh, I thought he was like being like, his tone was very sitcom-y where he's like, okay, about that thing. Uh, I just want to let you know where, <laughs> and it turned out like it didn't really seem like Danny cared that much ultimately about what was going on. I don't know what she expected Tyrion to do in her absence. I know that Grey Worm and Missande were not super thrilled about it, uh, but we go very quickly into this negotiation scene where it looks as though that Danny and Tyrion are discussing terms of surrender, but right. then turnabout is fair play. They were not discussing terms of their surrender. Yeah. They were discussing terms of the master surrender. Yeah, and then Danny just rides on Dra- on Drogon like a boss. Like uh, you know, she really is good at that now. Suddenly, Drogon's playing ball. It's like Drogon knows, like, all right, we got to make this story good, and the only way that's going to happen is if you and I can connect now. So let's do it. We're going to be all right. And Viserion and Rhaegal, for two dragons that haven't seen the light of day in forever, they were pretty calm as well. Yeah. So the, dra- the dragons are ferocious as they've been, you know, becoming more and more ferocious with every season. And they seem tame-ish. At least they're following Danny's lead. So that's a great sign that she's starting her march toward Westeros. Yeah, it was just a very odd timing-wise that Danny got dropped off in the last episode. The battle had already begun. Her and Tyrion, like, have all these conversations. And then finally, then they go and come up with this plan and go sit outside and then just wait for Drogon to show back up. Like, the choreography right. on this with the dragons was really impeccable. Uh-huh. No, it was great timing. Everybody, listen, great timing for everybody tonight. Littlefinger, very punctual. The dragons, very punctual. Uh, Rickon could have been a little faster. Yeah, that's that's where I would have fixed things on the speed. See, issue. I think his speed was fine, but I think he needed to zigzag. Oh, we're back to like the big Prometheus argument. No spoilers about Prometheus, but that was the thing. So, now, does Danny in in your mind, and maybe you have more of a sense of this into the books? That I mean, it, does she have some sort of warging connection, some sort of Targaryen connection with the dragons? Uh, I mean, or are they moving independently? And they just love Danny, or does she have some control over what they're doing? Yeah, I don't think that she has, not to my recollection, other than, you know, Targaryens and Valyrians are deeply, deeply connected and rooted with dragons. And I think that there's probably something there. I don't know that we'd call it warging, 
Uh, I'd have to break out my books and really study the passages to to bust out an answer. There, somebody can like a come maester. up, yeah, like a maester, maester Wiggler. Some other maester can uh, can chime in on that. I think it's more a sign that you know Danny has been building her relationship with these dragons over the past few seasons. She's clearly got a great thing going on with Drogon. I think Drogon's always been the alpha dragon of that pack, and Viserion and Rhaegal. If they're not following Danny's lead, I think they're at least following Drogon's. So I think that's the situation right now. But it's great. Very good to see dragons under Danny's control. Hope that keeps up for a while. But it was awesome to see them in action. This was very, very cool. Now, do you think that the stage is set now, Josh, that in our season six finale, that Danny will finally leave Marine? I hope so, so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've said this earlier in the season, too, that I didn't think that Danny would leave, or I didn't think that Danny would make it to Westeros by the end of this season. But I do think Danny will leave for Westeros at the end of the season. And she has her alliance with the Greyjoys now. She's got the the ships of the slavers. That was a really funny line from Tyrion. He's like, thanks for the ships. Danny loves ships. Uh, so she's got those. She's got the, she's got at least 100 from the Greyjoys. More if they can conquer Euron and get the rest of the Iron Islands um, to fall in line. And I think that Danny on Dragonback probably, I would not be surprised if one of the final things, if not the final thing we see this season, is Danny flying for Westeros. And she'll make landfall next season would be my bet. And that will be very, very cool. That's endgame material. Okay. Well, that's very exciting if that's happening. Very fun scene, I thought, then between Danny and Tyrion and then Yara and Theon. And really, I thought that uh, all of a sudden now um, we have Tyrion is like bad cop uh, to Daenerys' good cop, where it was almost the opposite in the previous scene. Right. And not for nothing. I mean, I get what Tyrion's saying about like, you know, saying that people who make um, height jokes with him are unoriginal and like everyone in a position of power who mocks a dwarf makes the same five jokes over and over again. Very funny, Theon Greyjoy. But Tyrion... Weren't you the guy making eunuch jokes just a few episodes ago? Maybe don't throw stones in your, you know, glass throne room. That's fair. Duly noted. I don't even know if he knows the eunuch thing with Theon. Uh, yeah. I think that, that that's a reveal to come later. He's going to feel bad. He's going, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm trying to be better about this. Uh, but, <laughs> but but I think that one of the major things, and, and uh, just tying it back to the previous Danny and Tyrion conversation, Josh, we cannot overlook the fact that Tyrion happened to mention all the stores of wildfire in King's yeah. Landing. Oh, yeah. Don't think that went over my head. Oh, I, uh, I believe me. I know it did not go <laughs> over your head. The Terry Schwartz theory. You know, Terry Schwartz, I think, is the person who popularized this theory that Cersei is going to come upon wildfire stores and try and use them to her advantage. I think that we have not seen the last great fire in season six. Uh, and Tyrion resetting the table with that and saying to Danny, like, you're kind of sounding like your dad. You know what your dad was going to do? He was going to, you know, he had wildfire reserves under the Red Keep, under all the major thoroughfares in King's Landing, and he was going to burn everybody innocent or guilty as like his final Hail Mary move. Um, and, you know, that's a great reminder that what Danny is talking about at the beginning of the episode is a little too mad queen for Tyrion's liking and probably too much so for her own good. Um, so it's, it serves that purpose, but I think it's also between that and the line from Jamie last week of like Cersei would turn a city to ash. I think that the signs are pointing towards some fiery action in King's Landing in the finale. Okay, so we had that scene now with Tyrion and Danny and the Greyjoys, and they're talking about how we, all of us here 
we are all the children of horrible men. And that is sort of the thing that bonds this group. Yeah, they all have awful fathers. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, well, I mean, really? What a a terrible timing for this. Yeah, happy Fisa Day. (laughs) Fisa. I don't know. I I don't know what the equivalent of Misa is for dads, but let's go with Fisa. I'm sure somebody will have it in the chat very soon. And so uh, we have now this offer to work with Yara, work with the Greyjoys to recognize uh, that Yara is the queen of Pike and uh, the Iron Islands. And they are going to be able to. Yeah, they'll separate. The Iron Islands won't be part of the kingdom. So it'll be six kingdoms. Or are we going to consolidate even further? It's going to be one kingdom of Westeros. Well, it sounds like that they're going to let other people succeed if they ask. This is a good sign for people who want to see a king or queen in the north. Yeah. Maybe maybe Danny's going to, you know, when she says, I'm going to break the wheel, it's just like totally reinvent the thing. So maybe it's not going to be like all of Westeros is just like one place. It's going to be multiple countries and that's going to be very nice for everybody. Everyone's going to get along. It's going to be great. That's the answer. We're just going to go down to seven kingdoms. We're just going to let everybody have their own sort of like seven little kingdoms. That's going to be a better system than one big one. Seven little finger kingdoms. <laughs> yeah. I guess so, if you say so. So I don't know necessarily, but uh, the scene between Daenerys and Yara was uh, really fantastic, especially when they talked about how Euron is coming with an offer of marriage and he has a big surprise yeah, for Danny. Yeah, big surprise. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Big surprise. Big surprise in store. And Danny's like, okay, and you're not proposing marriage. And I love Yara being like, I mean, I'm up for anything. Like, if that's what you want, I would do that. Very coy. Uh, very, very coy Yara. Very coy. Yeah, I'm, shi- I'm shipping uh, Yanny. I'm into Yara and Danny. Like, that's good. That's fun. I mean, is it possible that you, we could see instead of, uh, you know, we have, you know, a clash of kings, a war of five kings, do we end up with a queen all over the... I mean, you certainly could see that happening in Dorne. You certainly could see it with Sansa in the north, with Yara in Pike, uh, then with Danny going to King's Landing... Could we see just a queen emerge in each of the seven kingdoms? I definitely think that's possible. Um, I, I think that, you know, one of the big themes or ultimate goals of Game of Thrones is like a lot of stuff is going to get wrecked. A lot of things are going to break. I think that it will, you know, George R. R. Martin talks about a bittersweet ending. I think that we will lose a lot of characters, but I don't think it'll be apocalyptic. Like, I don't think that there's not going to be any hope for anybody. I think that there will be some hope for some people. And I think one of the big things that's going to happen here is there's going to be a lot of social change, a lot of change to society potentially, um, in, a, in a, hopefully in a positive way for some of these characters. And I think one of the core ideas of Game of Thrones, or at least one of the main traits among many of these characters is a lot of these dudes are awful, especially mm-hmm. a lot of these dudes in positions of power. So maybe it's time to give the Queens a chance to reign. Um, and I think that if you're looking at Yara being queen of the iron islands, that sounds fun. Sansa queen of the North sounds fun. Queen Danny sounds fun. So yeah, I'd be on board, you know, depending on how they, how they parse that out. Uh, maybe get those sand snakes out of there, but otherwise I'm, I would be pretty happy. Uh, the chat room is reminding us, don't forget about Queen Marjorie yeah. and Lady Mormont. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this would be great. This would be a great power crew to rule everything. I just want them as like a superhero squad. I feel like that would be the, the great queens, the seven queens of Westeros. That sounds fun. Hashtag Horn Hillary. Horn Hillary. <laughs> like that? Like that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is so stupid. Uh, man, uh, you know, I, I wonder if we, did we shortchange the eulogy for 1-1 the giant? Yeah, we did. Uh, R.I.P. One one. 
That was that was uh, wow! Right in the eye. That was that was difficult. Yeah, and one one is gone. But what a way to go out! Real heroes uh, exit from the show. Yeah, I think he was he was a champ. That guy was MVP of the battle. You know, he really he threw it all out there. Talk about full tilt. He got medevac for going too hard. <laughs> yeah, he really did. He just yeah. uh, like it took arrow after arrow after arrow. You know, we had one giant uh, hold the door. Uh, one one uh, broke the door. Yeah, one giant held the door. One one giant broke the door. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> okay. A- anything else you want to touch on before we jump into some of these questions? No, let's do a few questions quick. Okay. Here are our questions, and then of course, uh, if you don't get your questions in, uh, send them in for our feedback show coming up later on this week. And uh, let's dive in. Why don't we start tonight with our Philly? Uh, Danny pointing out the fathers uh, of the crew uh, were all terrible d bags on Father's Day. Was perfect. Which one was the worst? Ooh, which one was the worst? So we're talking about uh, the Mad King, Eris. We're talking about Tywin Lannister and Balon Greyjoy. Uh, I would probably say the Mad King was the worst. That's the worst. I think that's yeah. pretty easy, actually. Yeah, and then I think that uh, Tywin is the third worst. And then I'll say that, uh, they, uh, that uh, why, you disagree? I don't know. I mean, Tywin's a pretty bad guy. Pretty bad? He, pretty he's bad least, guy. He, he's, he's effective. He's effective. You know? He's effective. But I think that Tywin uh, loved his kids more, and I feel like... That, well, maybe not. Um, but I, I feel like... Yeah, I feel like that that uh, Balon was uh, probably a, a worse guy. Like, I feel like that... You know, at least that Tywin uh, loved Jamie. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? Okay. Well. Like he had that, I think he had that gear where yeah. I don't know if Balon Greyjoy did. Okay. Yeah. Um Zartan, a man is pleased. Uh, the many-faced god received many gifts this evening. The many-faced god has many servants, including the dogs. Oh, yeah. no. The many-faced dog. <laughs> yes. Uh, was this foreshadowing of Sansa working with the hound again? I, I mean, I don't know if it was foreshadowing of Sansa working with the hound again. It seems like the show has been setting that up, though, that the hound is marching north and Sansa's north. So I would expect a reunion if you want to call this foreshadowing for that. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be mad at that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to take this one from Squidge Mom? Squidge Mom says, sure. Now Littlefinger takes his sweet time. Yeah, there you go. Uh, his, his sweet his, Robin his, time. Yeah, sweet Robin time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, look, he's on message busy. with the bad puns tonight. Yeah. Uh, from Katie D, I'm rewatching and realized Ramsey timed the archery onslaughts to build the body wall as if I thought I couldn't hate him more. Uh, that's interesting. So he was purposely designing the body wall so that people couldn't get out of that uh, of, of that final corner of the of the terrible Bolton Corral. Sansa says to John, "You can't set a trap for him. He yeah, sets he, traps. He's yeah. a, don't do what he wants." And John's like, "Ah, we got this." It's like I fought White Walkers, man. <laughs> I fought Mance Raider. It's Ramsey, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not right. Mike Tyson. It's Ramsey. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so he, yeah, I think he miscalculated there for sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's take uh, from Tom DePlank. Uh, I wouldn't be so smug if I were Sansa at this point. Yes, Littlefinger came to your rescue, but he commands the Knights of the Vale, and you have no army. So if she refuses his advances, does he try to turn her over uh, to the Cersei? I don't know. Don't you feel like, does Littlefinger have any collateral with Cersei anymore? I mean, I guess turning over Sansa Stark would be a big move. Uh, she does not care for Sansa Stark. I wouldn't underestimate Sansa at this point. I think Sansa has been proving all season long that she is not somebody you want to overlook. Yeah, and I don't know necessarily that Littlefinger is like, uh, hey, Sansa, if you don't make out with me, I'm going to get Cersei uh, back. Like, I, I feel like that whatever his plan is, 
Like, I feel like it's more than just some sort of physical attraction to Sansa. Yeah, I think it's got, you know, there's a power aspect. I think it's political as well. But I also do think that Littlefinger was obsessed with Sansa's mom. And I think that that obsession has been projected onto Sansa. So I definitely think that there's a physical aspect there as well. Uh, I just think it's more twisted necessarily than, you know, like, oh, I just want to go out with Sansa. I think it's personal as well as business, but I think that the two, you say twisted, I think that, you know, the business and the personal for Littlefinger when it comes to Sansa are really twisted together. And that might be, you know, that might be a flaw in Littlefinger's design. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, a couple right, more. One more. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Let's go from Austin. Why doesn't John send Rick on to the Red Woman? It's at least worth a try, right? No, I think the show was uh, one step ahead of you on this one. Not only did Rickon get hit with the one arrow, then you saw Rickon get hit with like multiple arrows after that. I think that Rickon is too far gone. Yeah, not just mostly dead. Yeah, like they full, really... Full, full tilt dead. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, I the people that went in this episode, like uh, like one one the giant, I think is pretty far gone. Uh I think that Rickon was too far gone. I just don't think that, you know, probably, John was yeah. he's probably like, trampled as we saw on last too. week with Arya stab wounds to the midsection. That's like the easiest thing to get over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you get stabbed in the belly or chest area, right. then you've got a shot with the Lord of Light. The other stuff it's too difficult to to clean up. John was like barely dead. That, you know, Rickon was really too far gone. All right. Uh, Josh, uh, we got some hashtags for you. Uh, Stark explaining, uh, Sanstastic, uh, Fisa. Uh-huh. <laughs> Happy Fisa Day. Uh, we could do Sanstastic. This episode was Sanstastic. So let's start. Okay. There. There you go. Sandstastic. Okay. So here's what's coming up uh, from here. Josh and I are going to be back later on in the week. Game of Thrones feedback show is on the way. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash voicemail or send them in via email, got at postshowrecaps.com. Plus, what are you thinking? Book club this week? Book club's happening this week, of course. We will definitely do a book club this week. That's going to be really fun to chew on. One more episode after this, Rob. We're, we're right up to it. Almost, yeah, we are on our way done. to what? The 67-minute Winds of Winter season finale? The Winds of Winter. I've been waiting for this for years. Okay, they are coming. Yes, the winds are blowing and a very exciting week for Game of Thrones in the lead up to the season six finale. Of course, we are looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com. Subscribe to our Game of Thrones podcast feed. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes. And of course, uh, read everything Josh Wiggler is putting together for you guys, Game of Thrones wise. When you follow him on Twitter, he is at Round Howard. How about yeah. that? Yeah, I like it. Lots of interviews coming up. We're going to be talking to to Ramsey. Going to talk to Rick on again. Uh, going to talk to Davos this week. So uh, I think Tormund. We're going to talk to everybody. I'm going to talk to everybody that I possibly can. So All right, lots, check- of, lots of fun interviews coming up. Check out all of Josh's stuff, uh, thr.com slash Game of Thrones. And of course, uh, you make sure you keep it here for more Game of Thrones as we get into lots of stuff in the lead up to the season six finale. Thanks to Alex Kidwell pulling all the questions. Take care, everybody. Good night.